We're going to be in Acts chapter 17 today. We've been working our way through. If you're a guest, welcome. Uh, what we do is we start in the book and uh, we just go. Because we want you to learn the Bible for what it is, not bits and pieces here and there. Last year, we spent the entire year in the book of Isaiah. Uh, this year, we're in the book of Acts. Starting in January, we're going to do the book of Genesis. So we're, our goal is to make people deep and strong in the Word of God. And here's, here's my ultimate statement that I want you to go home with today. You can sleep through everything else I say, but people want to talk to me about the will of God, what the will of God is in my life. It's not the will of God if it goes against the Word of God. Say that with me. It's not the will of God if it goes against the Word of God. And there's so many people saying, well, I don't understand. I don't understand. Well, uh, you're doing this, and God told you to do this. You should be doing this, but instead you're doing this. And we wonder why we don't get the results we want. If it's not the will of God, it's not, it's not the Word of God. If you, want, if you want to be blessed and you know the Word and you stick to the faithfulness of the Word. Now, let me ask you this question before we get started. Last night it was a lot of men, but I want you to be honest. How many of you think you're funny? Just be honest. It's okay. Nobody has to agree with you. I'm just asking if you think you're funny. All right. Okay, at least we're being honest. Now, those of you that are funny, and even some of you that have to live with people that think they're funny, how many of you know that sarcasm is a major gift that comes along with humor? Okay. How many of you spouses have gotten yourself into big trouble because you can't turn off the sarcasm? All right, now for you spouses that don't understand, we can't. It's there. And when something is funny, it just has to be said. We don't mean to hurt your feelings. We don't mean to make something bad. But when you have this gift of sarcasm, <laughs> it just comes out. So, I mean, my wife and I are laying in bed the night. It's two in the morning and I roll over and accidentally pull off the covers. Not on purpose. Just accidentally, right? And she was not pleased. And two in the morning, and she, she shared with me her displeasure. And, but you, remember, you can't turn it off. So even at two in the morning, I looked at her and I said, Honey, you think you'll ever recover? Where were we? Oh, yeah. You're in church, Joe. Okay. All right. Acts 17. Stand with me out of respect for God's word. The story here is that the uh, Paul and Silas end up now in a city called Thessalonica. In your Bibles, you have two letters that are written to that church, First and Second Thessalonians. And <coughs> when Paul goes there, there is no church. This passage is the day that the church starts in Thessalonica, okay? So this is still Macedonia, Greece, in that area. So here's the story. <clears throat> when they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, <clears throat> where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that Christ had to suffer and rise 
from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. Some of the Jews were persuaded and they joined Paul and Silas. As did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters. Now I want you to remember that phrase because you're going to need that at the very end of the message today. Bad characters. Say that. Bad characters. You're going to like me when I get to that. From the marketplace. Formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed into Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there's another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and they let them go. All right, you can be seated. It'd be real easy to skip over this section. But yet there's so much here because the line that is used in this is used many times when it talks about Christians. It says the those people who have turned the world upside down have now come to our city. Now that's the question. Now we're not here to cause trouble. That's not what the church does. But turn the world upside down means that they've been confronted with all their pagan gods, all their false gods. And every city they go to, there ends up being this whole new sect of people that are now followers of Christ. And now they've come to Thessalonica. Now this city is very ancient. Here is the Arch of Galileus which is there today, uh, built in the third century. Uh, it wasn't there when Paul was there, but I show you that to let you know that it has always been a very large, powerful Roman city. All right, so if you want to look that up, you can, you can just get a little bit of the feel of the history. <clears throat> but Paul goes to town, and the first thing he does is what he does in every city. He goes where? To the synagogue. Because these are the people who know the word of God. Now, you have, to, you have to remember this. All right, the people who are the least educated and the least capable have memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Not the words, the books. Not the names of the books. All of it. <clears throat> Most of the people in the synagogue would have memorized Genesis to Malachi, the entire Old Testament. They would have known it by heart. So Paul goes in <clears throat> and he says... Let me explain to you from Scripture. Now, there's a couple things going on here. Number one, <clears throat> there's a lot of books in the world. How do we know our book is true? Well, the Bible claims to be inerrant, without mistakes. God-inspired. That's Psalm 19, verse 7. There's that verse. At 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It, 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 now, that's self-statements, but again... If you're God, do you make a self-statement about your book that says it's perfect if you can't back that up? Now, I see all over Facebook, I, I see people saying, how stupid can you Christian people be? Your book is full of errors. But when you ask, well, why don't you give me one of those errors and let's discuss it. They never have one. 
They just say, well, how dumb do you have to be? Or they'll, or they want to point out something like, you know, Noah or, well, you can't prove that. I can't prove, I think I could, but you can't go back in time, but find a historical mistake in the Bible. If we're going to talk about mistakes, then let's talk about it. Now, all the other books that you would look at have plenty of mistakes. Whether it's the Muslims, the Hindus, uh, the Book of Mormon, anything like that. It doesn't take, a, a grade school child can find the mistakes in those texts. You and I have the Holy Word of God. Now, do you believe that? Because the answer to that question right there is going to tell me everything. It doesn't tell me, it tells God everything. Tells me how I'm going to live sexually. Tells me how I'm going to treat my wife. Tells me how I'm going to talk. Tells me what, what I'm going to do with my life and my money. The answer to that question, if I believe the Bible is the word of God, then it's going to change how I live. Paul uses the word to bring people to Jesus. Well, what would he have done? Well, if I'm Paul, I would have sat down with the Jewish folks and I'd have said, uh, well, I, and I, now there's no numbers like we have now, chapters and, and verses. But I would have said, you know, in Isaiah, it says the virgin will be with child. And I would have gone through that. And then in chapter 9, it says that his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. In 52 and 53, I'd go through the whole crucifixion event. See, Paul doesn't have the New Testament. He's walking through the prophets. I go to Micah 5, and I talk about the fact that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. I go to Zechariah 9 and talk about the fact that when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, he'll come in on a donkey. I'd have walked him through all of those, and I'm sure that that's exactly what Paul did. But we live in a culture today, and we talk about this almost every week, where the church leaders, and I hate that word, um, think they're smarter than God. And they're smarter than the word of God. And here's an example. This is a theologian. Uh, you've never heard of this guy. <clears throat> you've got that, what's his name? Croson, John Croson. All right. <coughs> this guy, I'm sorry. This guy uh, is a big time theologian and he's so smart he doesn't need God. But here's what he says, just to show you his brilliance. My point, once again, is not that the ancient people told literal stories. So you can't believe Noah, Adam and Eve, Moses. And we are now smart enough to take them symbolically. But that they told them symbolically and we're now dumb enough to take them literally. That's what passes for theology in our time. But the Bible's very clear. The Bible is God's inerrant word. I'm sorry, read the story of Adam and Eve. Read the story of Noah. Read the story of Job. There's not one thing in any of those stories that would lead you to believe that those are not historical events. And in many cases, we have historical data and archaeological data to back those things up. Now... I normally do not read to people. I don't like to be read to myself, <clears throat> but this is such a good story that I'm going to read it to you. So just bear, bear with me. Now it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. And lo, there were many fish in the waters all around. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish, and the fish were hungry. Week after week, month after month, and year after year, these who 
These who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to fish, the abundance of fish, and how they might go about fishing. Year after year, they carefully defined what fishing means, defending fishing as an occupation, and declared that fishing is always to be the primary task of a fisherman. Continually, they searched for new and better methods of fishing and for new and better definitions of fishing. They created witty slogans and displayed them on big, beautiful banners. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters. The plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and every fisherman should fish. One thing they didn't do, however, they did not fish. In addition to meeting regularly, they organized a board to send out fishermen to other places where there were many fish. The board hired staffs and appointed committees and held many meetings to define fishing, to defend fishing, and to decide what new streams should be thought about. But the staff and committee members did not fish. Large, elaborate, and expensive training centers were built whose original primary purpose was to teach fishermen how to fish. Over the years, courses were offered on the needs of fish, the nature of fish, where to find fish, the psychological reactions of fish, and how to approach and feed fish. Those who taught had doctorates in fishology, but the teachers did not fish. They only taught fishing. Year after year, after tedious training, many more graduated and were given fishing license. They were sent to do full-time fishing, some to distant waters which were filled with fish. Many who felt the call to be fishermen responded. They were commissioned and sent to fish. But like the fishermen back home, they never fished. They engaged in all kinds of other occupations. Some felt the job was to relate to the fish in a good way so that the fish would know the difference between good and bad fishermen. Others felt that simply letting the fish know they were nice, land-loving neighbors and how loving and kind they were was enough. Now it's true that many of the fishermen sacrificed and put up with all kinds of difficulties. Some lived near the water and bore the smell of dead fish every day. They received the ridicule of some who made fun of their fishermen's clubs and the fact that they claimed to be fishermen yet never fished. Imagine how hurt some were when one day a person suggested that those who don't fish were really not fishermen, no matter how much they claimed to be. Yet it did not sound correct. Is a person a fisherman if year after year he never fishes? Is one really following if he isn't fishing? From Pastor John Drescher. You know, that's the question of our time. Is, are we fulfilling the mission for which God has called us here? It's easy to sit and come and, you know, we spend half our time trying to get people to show up. But the real goal is to get you to go out and impact your neighbors and your friends and your co-workers. And again, the whole world is coming. Who would have thought, even 10 years ago, even 10 years ago, we knew we had a beautiful little town here. Who knew that all of New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Rhode Island was going to move here? You know? <laughs> now listen, from the church's perspective, I'm really glad you're here. When I'm driving, I am not glad that you're here, just so we have an understanding about how this works. Listen, the, when people move, they're in transition is when they're more likely, they're looking for friends, they're looking for church, they're looking for a place to belong. You and I know that we know about the one book. And through that one book, we know about the one Savior. The problem is we live in a society that we talked about last week that is so duplicitous that it's hard to get to truth. 
And you say, well, 2 plus 2, Johnny. Uh, well, that's 16. Johnny, that's excellent. Because we don't want to hurt Johnny's feelings. Because if Johnny doesn't get validated, then Johnny may not have good self-esteem. And then when he gets older, he may not get a job. Well, Johnny's not going to get a job if he can't figure out that 2 plus 2 is not 16. That's the disconnect between our educational theory and the real world. But in every other area, we understand that there are objective truths. But we live in a society that says, well, when it comes, when it comes to spirituality, there are no objective truths. And usually it's said something like this, all roads lead to God. So I was thinking about that as I was driving in yesterday and said, okay, here's the deal. I'm going to give you Hand Avenue. You drive Hand Avenue for the rest of your life and see if you can get to Maine. Anybody want to try? All roads won't get you to Maine. All roads won't get you to heaven. All gods are not the same. Only one raised from the dead. And that's the point that Paul is arguing. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then we don't have a story. Your pagan gods, your idols, your Greek gods, your silver gods, your gold gods, your stone wood gods, just as well. <clears throat> in fact, Jeremiah said it this way. Jeremiah chapter 2. <clears throat> that This was talking about God's people. They say to their wooden idols, you are my father. And to their stone idols, you gave me birth. They've turned their backs to me and not their faces. Yet, when they're in trouble, they say, come and save us. Well, let me tell you something. We're in trouble. And it's high time that we turned our faces back to the living God, repented of our sin, and began to follow his plan. And there is but one Savior, 1 John 4.14. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, I'm going to digress just for a minute, all right? This is, this is allowed because I'm here. Um, I haven't talked about marriage for a while. And that just kind of dawned on me the other day. So I want to talk about it for a minute. We have a Savior that forgives all of our sins, yes? Now, if you've not accepted Jesus yet, before you go home, I pray that you'll do that. You can hit the button. I've decided we've got hosts that are monitoring that. Pastor John's there. You can come up front. People will be here. Uh, last weekend, we baptized four people uh, in between lightning strikes out in the ocean. It was a real exciting time. Um, yeah. We followed the lifeguard rules. We did everything right, but it still added just a touch of excitement to, to, the, uh, to the event. Um, but maybe this is your opportunity. See, that's what Paul is there to convince them about the fact that there is a Savior and you need him desperately. That you and I need to turn to him. But if Jesus is who you say he is, if that book is what you say it is, it's the one holy book, it's the inspired word of God, it is truth, <clears throat> there's one Savior. Is he big enough to fix your marriage? Maybe it's time to give it another shot. Maybe it's time to get to counseling. We prayed last night 
And uh, we pray something similar to this every Saturday night when we're all together, the, the worship team and the tech team. That God, if we all gather for this service and just one person finds Jesus, it was worth all the effort. If one marriage gets saved or spared, it's worth it. If one child that somebody came in was thinking about aborting and that child gets spared, then we've won. That's, that's the entire point. So I just wonder, since God is so forgiving and graceful to us, if we shouldn't think about, you know what, maybe I can forgive my husband, my wife. Maybe I can give this another shot, and I need to get back in this and try to fix this. All right? Then the last thing he talks about is one king. This is the one that gets him in trouble. So he's talking about the fact that there is this Jesus and he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords and every knee will bow before Jesus Christ. Well, in Roman culture, there's only one king and that's Caesar. And so that's where they decide to go get Paul. Now, remember what I told you, the two key words, what were they? Bad characters. Okay. Feel free to do your homework. Okay. It's a terrible translation in English. They didn't exactly know what to do with it. Uh, but if you translate the Greek words and then you put it into the Greek culture, here's how it comes out. Ambulance chasing lawyers. I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. Feel free to look it up. All right. <clears throat> they couldn't figure out how to stop Paul. They, we got all these Greek women coming to Christ, some Jewish people, all these other people. They're turning, the, turning our city upside down. <clears throat> so they went, to, they went to these basers. They went to these guys that were a little less scrupulous. And what did they do? They got the crowds riled up. They don't even know why they're mad, but they get them all riled up and they, they start trying to attack Paul and they go to Jason's house. Now we have been talked about Jason. He's the key player here. Jason's Paul's cousin. And when Paul goes, why Paul goes to this place, <clears throat> Paul stays with his cousin who's a believer. <clears throat> so basically what they do is they go and steal all of Paul's stuff, all of Jason's stuff. They make them post bond. They, they don't have anything. How do we know that? Because they went to the judge and the judge says, get this out of here. This is no case worth bringing to me. But that didn't stop the ambulance chasers from bringing the problem in. See, the culture really hasn't changed. There's always people out there ready to cause trouble. There's always ready. You can always create a mob or a riot for just about anything that you want to cause one for. And that's kind of been the story of Christianity through history. But in the midst of that, God keeps bringing to Christ people over and over and over again. And it never deters Paul. <coughs> he just stays at it. <coughs> and I think here's, I'm so sorry. <coughs> here's, here's Paul's key. He talk about keep standing. Look at this. <coughs> Let's go through these real quick. <clears throat> there we go. Keep standing when everyone else wants to sit the next one out. 
Continue dreaming when everyone else is satisfied with the status quo. Remain steadfast to a vision when critics want to derail the course. Display strength during times of chaos. Choose to move forward when everyone else is retreating. Follow through when everyone else is stalling. Stay positive when everyone else around you is in a pity party. Pretty good advice. And that's kind of how Paul was. This happens to him over and over again, city to city to city. Even his cousin, he knows they're going to bring out the worst in the culture to come after him. And yet he keeps telling people about the grace of Jesus. They turned the city upside down. It's a great story. Let me finish with this. If you remember back to the Kentucky Derby, there was a horse named Rich Strike. Horse wasn't even in the race. One horse got scratched literally minutes before they got ready to go. There was a horse standing around. They grabbed that horse, threw it in the stalls, said, what the heck, we need a horse. 80 to 1. And the horse wins the Kentucky Derby. 80 to 1. Yeah. Now, here's the truth. In this room, most of us are 80 to 1. If, you were to, if somebody would have said, hey, what do you think his chances are? What do you think her chances are? Maybe we wouldn't even have got that good of odds. But if you're new here, <clears throat> maybe it's your first time and you're looking around and you're thinking, man, these people have got it going on. These people are all probably two to one bets. No. We're all long shots. There's not a one of us in this room that you would have bet on and said, yeah, these people are going to be godly people. These are people that are going to help change the world. We're all long shots. That's why Jesus came and died for all of us. So if you're new to this, don't worry about where you're from. Don't worry if you're like, it's a long shot that I even showed up today. You know what? Not a surprise to God. And God takes long shots and makes them winners every single day. So, Father, as we finish, I ask that your Holy Spirit would move in us. And as we sing this last song, that God, I don't know, is it a marriage that needs to be fixed? Is it a baby that needs to be saved? Is it a family that needs to be restored? Is it someone who needs to start reading and believing the word? There's one book. There's one Savior. There's one plan. Lord, I'm asking that you would move in hearts and minds. Don't let anyone go home unchanged. In Jesus' name.